G'day and welcome to Partakers and to our series, Aha! Heroes and Heretics Abound. Together we are looking at the story of the Church from its origins through to the Age of Reasoning in the 18th century. Last time we started looking at the growing unrest within the Roman Catholic Church as steps towards Reformation continue to gather apace. Today we see the influence of the Church wane amidst both turmoil in the religious and society. Amidst both religious and societal turmoil, and a very brief look at two men rising up in opposition from within the church itself. We are now in the 14th and 15th century. The church has grown exponentially from the original 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. It has spread far and wide in the known world. However, this period in history shows that the church is also now starting to decline rapidly, both numerically and in its influence upon society. We also look briefly today at the reasons for this. Firstly, we look at the Avignon popes, or as some term it, the Babylonian captivity of the papacy. Pressure from the French monarchy in conflict with the Roman papacy caused the papacy to move to Avignon, France, from Rome in Italy. This was due to the elected pope, Clement V, refusing to move to Rome, and he remained in France, finally moving the whole of his papal court to Avignon in the year 1309. From here, there were seven successive popes elected by the French, rather than being elected by the Italians as before. Then we have what is called the Great Schism, or the Western Schism, which occurred within the Roman Catholic Church from the year 1378 to the year 1417. The Pope and his council returned to Rome from France in the year 1377, after a riot in Rome ensured that the next Pope was Italian in the year 1378. The French then elected a Pope of their own. There was much disputation, and at one stage there were three Popes. There was the Avignon Pope, Benedict XIII. There was the Roman Pope, Gregory Twelfth, And there was also the Pisa Pope, John XXIII. A council was called by the Pisa Pope, John XXIII, in the year 1414. And finally, agreement was reached as to the procedure for the election of a new Pope. All these events, though, caused a great loss of confidence in the Church. Wealth, corruption, immorality, and the scandalous indulgences were rife throughout the Roman Church, which led to much discontent and uncertainty. In the year 1453, Turkish Muslims attacked the Eastern Empire, and that great city of Constantinople fell. And on top of all this, bubonic plague broke out in the year 1347, and this killed one-third of the Catholic West in only three years. There was also the rise of national consciousness, and strong monarchies developed in England, France, Spain, all of which resisted pressure from Rome. And then finally there was a rise in personal devotion. There was, in Northern Europe, a growing movement around personal devotion to God 
and therefore less reliance on the church for spiritual insight. But more about that next week. And during this period of time, it was also an area of global exploration, with the likes of exploring great Magellan and Columbus. There was also growing criticism of the church, particularly from within it. We look at two such people today, two giants. Firstly, there is John Wycliffe in the year 1320 to 1384. He was a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, and he was also a leading philosopher at Oxford University in England. Wycliffe spoke out against things of the church, things such as church corruption, transubstantiation, confession to the priest, and the infallibility of the church and the pope. Many travelling bands of teachers and preachers were organised and sent out by Wycliffe. Wycliffe is commonly described these days as the morning star of the English Reformation. He had a great desire to ensure that the Bible was made available to everyone in their own language. Therefore, he initiated a translation of the Latin Vulgate Bible into English, and it was completed by his followers. Wycliffe was protected by the English monarchy from church persecution and inquisition. And if you read your Bible in any language but Latin, and the original languages of Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, then you have much to be thankful to God for the life and work of John Wycliffe. They still do great work today, and you can find out more by visiting their website, www.wycliffe.org.uk. To get a hint of the disturbance to the church caused by Wycliffe, here are some of the things he said. Private confession was not ordered by Christ and was not used by the apostles. Englishmen learn Christ's law best in English. Moses heard God's law in his own tongue, so did Christ's apostles. It is plain to me that our prelates in granting indulgences do commonly blaspheme the wisdom of God. Our clerics neither evangelize like the apostles, nor go to war like the secular lords, nor toil like laborers. The bread, while becoming by virtue of Christ's words the body of Christ, does not cease to be bread. The gospel alone is sufficient to rule the lives of Christians everywhere. Any additional rules made to govern men's conduct add nothing to the perfection already found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that was John Wycliffe. The other main critic was this bohemian man, Jan Hus. Hus was a priest in the Catholic Church, and he was rector of Prague University in what we now call Czechoslovakia. Hus was strongly influenced by Wycliffe, and much to the dismay and the chagrin of the Catholic Church hierarchy, Hus promoted personal devotion and piety. He taught the supreme authority of the Bible, and he also taught that the Church is the body of Christ, and the head of the Church is Jesus Christ, not the Pope. He also taught that only God can forgive sin, not the Church. Yet again, Huss was another man ahead of his time, and he was one of the main pioneers of the Protestant Church to come.
Thus, because of his condemnation of much Catholic Church teaching and practice, was imprisoned, tried and condemned. In the year 1415, he was executed following the Council of Constance. Again, some quotes from this protesting pioneer. Has not God himself instituted marriage as a means to satisfy the craving for love in all men? For those are speaking lies in hypocrisy who have a seared conscience, who forbid a life in marriage and abstain from foods which God has created. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 to 5 I hold this to be the seed of iniquity and the root of all evil. And secondly, Many centuries have passed since the foundation of Christianity, and bishops and priests have wedded and permitted themselves to be wed in honour and decency, until some primates, Gregory the Seventh and Innocent the Third, thousand years after the death of Jesus the Nazarene, conceived the thought to forbid marriage to priests so that they would not love their families, would not honour their home, and would be compelled to seek salvation under the wing of Rome only remembering the protection which was to come from there against worldly powers. John Wycliffe and Jan Hus That's it for this time. Next time in our series AHA, we will look at the birth of the Renaissance. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, where every day there is something new to encourage your walk as a Christian in the 21st century. See you later.